We need to trace back to the things that we were good at when we were teeny tiny, things that made us feel alive or made us feel like we were the only person in the whole world who could do it. And I am convinced that we all have something unique that we are meant to offer the world. And at no point in our life is anything getting wasted. And so when we are fully present in the stage where we are and really just sucking the marrow out of everything that's happening at that stage, it'll all culminate to take us to this place that we are called to be. Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and each week we celebrate and commiserate with best-selling authors, parenting experts, and mamas all over the world. Okay, so this morning I picked a blanket up off the floor. It was our dog's blanket. Yes, both of our dogs have blankies. And uh, this cloud of dust or pet dander kind of flew up in the air. And I was like, oh, this is disgusting. And this is probably why I'm sniffling. And uh, I got to give the dogs a bath and I got to clean this blanket. And why are we living in a filthy hole? And I turned around and my child, who's almost three, Sabrina, is standing there and she was lit up by the sunlight coming in through the window and she had her little hands raised and she was trying to catch the little flecks. Uh, And I looked at her and she was just in awe and she was smiling. And I was like, gosh, this is really beautiful. And so we started catching the little flecks together. Um, So, you know, one mom's pet dander is another child's snowflake fest. (laughs) I'm glad I didn't miss that little moment uh, because it was, it was like she was trying to catch snowflakes and it was really beautiful. So now I feel like I'll never have to clean again because clearly my daughter finds the beauty in the filth. And that's today's lesson, guys. Find the beauty in the filth. Just kidding. Uh, It does remind me a little bit of Dr. Shafali's Celebrate the Ordinary um, or Celebrate the Ordinariness. I want to give her a quick shout out because she has reached the New York Times bestseller list again with her new book, The Awakened Family. She's a two-time guest on Atomic Moms. Uh, Go check her out on her recent Super Soul Sunday episode with Oprah, her second time there as well. And uh, go through our archives. Find our most recent interview together. It's super fun. I'm no Oprah. Let's just say I have a different spin on it. Uh, and uh, it's really easy to find it through our podcast app. So you can like find all almost 100 episodes. Today we're calling Mandy Arioto. I really like saying that last name, Arioto. And I actually know I'm saying it properly. So it makes me like extra excited. We are interviewing Mandy Arioto. She is in Denver, Colorado, where she lives with her husband and her three young children. Check out these names Joseph, Ellie, and Charlotte. Love that there's an Ellie. Man, when I was growing up, there were no Ellies. And now there are so many beautiful little Ellies. She has been featured on MSN.com, TheKnot.com, TheNest.com, and Fox. She is the president and CEO of Mops. This goes back to the pet dander. We're talking about cleaning today. Ah, what? No, we're not. Mops isn't about cleaning. Mops is short for Mothers of Preschoolers. 
It's an international organization which focuses on supporting mothers of kiddos from birth to kindergarten, which obviously I care about um, because my daughter's almost three. And uh, you know what? If you have a kid that's like 40, uh, this is still relevant. It doesn't matter what age your child is ever for this podcast, um, but especially for this particular interview. One of the things on the MOPS site that I love is that it says that moms are world influencers, and uh, we couldn't agree more. Mandy has a new book. It's called Starry-Eyed, Seeing Grace in the Unfolding Constellation of Life and Motherhood. You can find it on Amazon, of course, or AtomicMoms.com, even better. Uh, And here's a little paragraph that I pulled from the description. Being a mom is all of it. Light and dark, highs and lows, fever pitch frustration, and all-consuming love. By now, you already know that with great love comes great joy, dot, 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 and great pain. It can be crazy making, but it doesn't have to be. Okay, so there you go. Boom. Also, she has one of the best book trailers I have ever seen. So do you guys know anyone who refuses to acknowledge like anything but light? Um, Those that shut out all pain? Uh, I'm a firm believer that if you cannot make space for the darkness, you're not fully experiencing life and you're not being truthful. And honestly, those people make me nervous. And yet, you know what? Actually, I know why. I know why they make me nervous because I was one of those people and sometimes I still am. It's really easy for me to fall into sort of the, uh, the junior league waspy, uh, I can go Stepford wife, like real fast. And honestly, The more dressed up I am and the nicer I look, uh, the more I rely on blow-dried hair. Honestly, that usually means it's a really good signifier that I'm becoming more and more unhinged. (laughs) So I can say from experience that when I'm avoiding the darkness in my life, it's kind of like BS. Um, I'm trying to seem like I have it all together. And it comes from this huge fear that a lot of us struggle with that, you know, I must seem like I'm okay. I got to seem like I'm okay. Because what if others, what if others see that I'm not okay? And then I'm like, oh my God, am I not okay? When I start wondering if I'm okay or not, that's usually when, um, yeah, I start trying to hide by making everything seem a little more perfect. Uh, Recently, I saw a rerun of Oprah. Of Oprah. Way to go, Ellie. Uh, recently, I saw a rerun of Oprah's Super Soul Sunday, and she interviewed the Episcopal priest, Barbara Brown Taylor. And uh, Barbara Brown Taylor writes, I have learned things in the dark that I could never have learned in the light. I love that. I learned things in the dark that I could never have learned in the light. Darkness is a part of life. We must acknowledge it. Let's acknowledge it, and then we can eat ice cream. So Mandy, our guest today, she challenges what comes to mind for some of us when we think of religion or God or Christianity. Look, I get it. It's loaded. Some of us think of shame, of guilt, of exclusion, of not great stuff. And in this podcast episode, she wants us to celebrate our sensuality. Help us get back to our essence. 
and we also talk about some of my favorite mom obsessions, like the dangers of comparison and why do we want to look perfect when the people we love the most are the ones who are free with their imperfections. Isn't that such a... It's going to say the B word. I'm trying to be more conscious of the fact that there are kids in the car. Uh, but isn't that the B word? I'm trying to be more perfect, but then everybody that I really gravitate towards, they're like so cool with their imperfections. So we talk about all that. Uh, and we, of course, also talk about ice cream. So everybody, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening every week. Thanks for sharing this on Facebook and on social media and with your friends. Thanks for stealing their phones and downloading uh, an episode for them or showing them how to subscribe. Thank you for leaving reviews on iTunes. That really, really helps our ranking. Uh, thanks out for reaching out to me and letting me know that this is important to you. I got to tell you, those emails I get uh, and those iTunes reviews, like I read them and it helps me. Uh, the podcast is a lot of work and I love it, um, but I'm not here sitting in this room to do this by myself. Um, I'm doing it so that we can have our own weird little community uh, through the airwaves, um, through social media. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be right back with Mandy Arioto. Mandy, thank you so much for coming on Atomic Moms. I love, love, love your message. Um, oh, thanks. I, I get a lot of requests um, for authors because I love reading and <laughs> I love speaking with guests who have spent an extended period of time really like digging deep into um, – you know, these incredible topics. So I feel like authors make such wonderful interviews. But I've been exhausted from so much reading lately. And I have to say that when I read Starry-Eyed, Seeing Grace and the Unfolding Constellation of Life and Motherhood, it's like better than watch binge-watching Friends. Like, it feels so good. <laughs> that is the best compliment you could have ever said about the book. Thank you. Um, I was wondering if you could start off by telling our listeners a little bit about what it means to be starry-eyed. Yeah, so um, starry-eyed for me came out of this idea of all growing up. I thought that if life was hard, it meant I was doing it wrong. And what I've learned as I've become a little more of an adult um, is that sometimes when life is hard, it just means that it's life. And that's just how it goes sometimes. And so the concept of starry-eyed is looking for glimmers of hope in the darkness and realizing that there are good things to be found when things feel um, unknown and uncertain and a little bit overwhelming. In the book, you mentioned Carl Jung, and you write that Carl Jung suggests is that how you say his name, by the way? Pause for <laughs> Is it Jung? Young? Oh, my. I love it. I love it. My listeners are like rolling their eyes at me. I mean, this is like a 
a constant. <laughs> they get it, whatever. So, you know, our buddy Carl, he suggests that becoming whole means bringing together that which has been torn apart, whether that is light and darkness, feminine and masculine, conscious and unconscious. We are whole when we embrace them both. And when I read that, I just was like, yes, yes. Because, yeah, we were constantly sort of rejecting the darkness instead of finding the beauty in it. Um, I think of my birth with my now almost three-year-old Sabrina. And like, there's so much darkness in the birthing experience, right? Um, and so the idea that you can sort of be present with that uh, is so important. I don't really trust people when they only seem like happy all the time. P.S. I know, right? <laughs> like if there's nothing like a little earthy or a little dark, like if, if if you're not willing to acknowledge it, I'm kind of like, oh, man, there's some, like, major skeletons in the closet there. Oh, I totally feel the same way. I love people who kind of have brought together both parts of themselves and who are comfortable in that and kind of sitting in that and staring their darkness head on right in the eye. Um, those are some of my favorite people. What inspired you to sit down and explore this topic? It came out of a season in my life where um, I was just experiencing like an overwhelming state of anxiety. So I was navigating my days and barely living. There were a couple days where I woke up and I couldn't get out of bed. And I thought, okay, I maybe need to look at this a little bit closer. And so I started going to therapy. I found a counselor who I really trusted and um, recognized that there were some dark things that I had navigated that I didn't want to face straight on, that I didn't want to really deal with. And so um, the first one was when my dad died and it was sudden and out of the blue and it shook my entire core. And um, then just a succession of other kind of dark things that felt overwhelming. And so um, this book really came out of my own need to confront some of the scary, hard things in my life and face them head on and uh, find some healing in that time. So did you find healing in writing the, in the process of writing the book? I did. It, you know, I think that's a really trite answer to say I did find healing, but I think it's a process of healing that I'm journeying on. And I find um, now, this, so I started writing it about two years ago, and now when dark things kind of simmer up, I am much more confident and unafraid to look at them and um, to get comfortable with them and sit and just kind of assess how I'm feeling. And so I, I feel like I've learned a lot of tools to help me navigate life better, to feel like a more whole human being who's confident and comfortable and a little bit freer with uh, the things that I struggle with. One of the things that I struggle with, and many of our listeners, I'm, I'm sure, or at least listeners pretend like you struggle with it, so I feel less alone, uh, the danger of comparison. There's that stupid Pinterest quote that drives me crazy about how, like, Beyonce has the same number of hours in the day as you do. I'm not sure, like, how they say it. They say it better than that. They make it Pinterest-worthy, okay? But the idea that, like, Beyonce and I have the same hour number of hours in the day, like, that's supposed to motivate me. But instead, it kind of enrages me because I want to be like, no, 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 no. We do not have the same number of hours a day. She is, like, five people at least oh, on her be. team. So it's like <laughs> her day plus five other people's day make one day of in the land of Beyonce. But 
So this com- the comparison, like it gets me going. And you write about it also. And I'm wondering if you could just uh, shed a little light uh, for us about, you know, the comparing mind. Yeah. What is it that we all have this sense that we are not good enough? Um, and that looking at other people, we get to see the best parts of them compared to our least savory parts. Um, I love what I've, what I've come to realize is that the people I love the most are the ones who have waited in the thick of things and who aren't perfect and don't have everything together in the houses that I love to go to. So my friend's houses who I enjoy going to the most are the ones that are dirty and have dog hair on their couch and dishes in their sink. And it's this realization for me that I want to look like I have everything together and I compare myself when I look at other people who I think they have it all together, but really the people I love the most and the person I want to be the most in the whole world is the one who has dog hair on my couch and who other people feel completely comfortable coming over and spending time um, in my kitchen, sitting at my table and they recognize like I am free with my imperfections. There's a mom at pickup uh, at my kid's school, and every time I see her, she is, like, decked out and, like, perfectly dressed, perfect hair, <laughs> perfect makeup, that whole deal. And she drove me crazy, and I didn't even know her. And so toward the end of school last year, I decided, okay, this is ridiculous. I'm feeling so insecure around this woman, and I have <laughs> is. And so I got out of my car one day. I went over to her window and asked her if she'd have coffee with me, which she was super shocked by because we had never had a conversation before. And she probably isn't that approachable to people if she seems so perfect. (laughs) But she totally humored me and has become one of my best friends in the entire world. And she is far from perfect. But what it did was it gave me the courage to say, okay, this is someone who I have totally compared myself to for months and months now. And when I get a glimpse into her real life, it is just as messy as mine. And so I just think if we can open wide our circles and let our guard down a little bit, it really lowers that comparison expectation that happens for all of us. That's so (laughs) nice to recognize that, you know, we're all different. And just because someone seems a certain way, like that, you know, it might could not be further from the truth. That she becomes one of your best friends. I remember when I met my husband and I went to my in-law's house. Our dog ran in the living room and he was all muddy and he just jumped on the couch. And I was mortified. And other people's homes, you'd be really worried about that. Or if a muddy uh, muddy dog had jumped on my couch, I would have been like, oh, no. (laughs) Um, And I'll never forget my mother-in-law being, oh, well, that's why they're slip-covered. And she just Uh, took it off and threw it in the wash and, like, could not care less. And then that makes everyone so much more comfortable, right? And then we get to be ourselves. So it's true. Like, the next time that I'm putting on airs um, or I'm trying to be in control of everything or make everything perfect – what I should remember is what you're saying, that we can, that when do I feel best? When I'm around people who are relaxed and comfortable and can like go with the flow. Totally. I want to live a slip cover life, right? Like yeah. I'm going to be like your mother-in-law. <laughs> yes. Make com- people comfortable with my presence. So, oh, that, so good. I love that story. Um, and then, okay, another thing we share in common is this concept or slash, I'll call it obsession with delights. So mm-hmm. I had a blog uh, in 2011. I had 
a, um, I'll call it a health scare. It was a benign, but like super intense and serious tumor. And so afterwards I was, I had a recovery blog and it was like funny observations about basically being a shut-in. And one of the biggest lessons I got was um, the idea of paying attention to little delights. So mm-hmm. every week I would write about the little delights. And it came from the uh, the Indian takeout menu because uh, like every other <laughs> uh, thing you can order has the word delight in it, right? So I was so psyched when I read your chapters about delights. And so I'm wondering, can you share with our listeners a little bit about reawakening the delight in your own life? Yeah. So um, I was out with a friend one day and we were picking out dessert. We went out for dessert and coffee. And I noticed as she was looking at the dessert display case that um, she was having a really, really hard time choosing what she wanted. And it was as if she had forgotten what she liked. She was so consumed with caring for little human beings and um, a husband and all the other people in her life that required her attention that she had forgotten what she herself enjoyed. And it made me take a look at myself and realize, oh my goodness, like I have forgotten what I like doing. I've forgotten to take the time and put the effort to doing things that make me feel delighted and that feed my soul in a way that other things don't. And so um, the past couple of years have really been a practice of creating delight in my life. And with delight comes sensuality. And I love the word sensual because so often it's um, framed in the context of sexuality, but I actually think sensuality is just being comfortable in our own skin and feeling good in our own skin. And what a beautiful thing when we are comfortable in our own skin and we um, give that to the world as well. We just get to navigate our days in such a way that we are taking in things that make us feel good, that taste good, that feel good on our skin. And I think when we do that, we are such a better version of ourselves and we model what um, healthy delight is to our kids as well. They get to see us enjoying and laughing. And there was a time two years ago where my oldest son said, Mom, I haven't heard you laugh in like three months and Mm. it took the breath out of my lungs. I couldn't believe it. And it was at that moment I realized like, girl, you got to get this figured out because you don't want your kids seeing you constantly stressed and not enjoying the pleasure of living. Oh, I love that so much. And when you were just mentioning your son, I was thinking about also how sensual toddlers are. Um, because my my daughter's almost three, and that these little kids, they are sensual. They experience mm-hmm. everything with all of their senses. Uh, I remember picking up my daughter from preschool one afternoon, and she her like her hair was covered in paint, and her clothes were covered in paint. And I was kind of irritated, but <laughs> the <laughs> teacher 
<laughs> the teacher was just like, she is a sensory learner. Mm. And so like, yeah, man, there's so many times when we cut off that part of ourselves. Yes. And I catch it all the time when I'm holding my breath, when I'm trying to get things done right, when my expectations are too high, I just lose all of sort of the wonderfulness that is living. Mm-hmm. At the end of your chapters, you ha- you pose questions that the readers can ask themselves. And so um, I wanted to share this one. It's what would your friends from different eras of your life say you delighted in? And I thought mm-hmm. that was such a great question. What do you, just, what yeah. do you think? What, okay, like if I were going to ask you, um, what would your friends, let's say, in the high school era of Mandy – what what did you delight in then? Totally. I would say um, the beach, uh, salty skin. I delighted in playing sports and uh, team competitions and being with my friends. And I delighted deeply in my family. I think I've always had this innate sense and appreciation for this tribe that kind of conspires around you um, at different points in your life. And and for me, I know this isn't the case for everybody, but for me, my family is like this constant. And so in high school, there were all sorts of ups and downs and beautiful things and hard things, but it was like my family that really was a constant. And so that would be a huge thing. And then uh, the other thing would be chocolate peanut butter ice cream because I pretty much lived off of it from ninth grade to my senior year. Do you still love it? Now I would have to say it would be like mint chip or <laughs> my my tastes have changed yeah, just a little. Your bit. tastes have matured. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what would you say for oh, yours? Oh, okay. So for high school, yeah. Um, Well, I went to a performing and visual arts high school, and I was obsessed with theater. And Mm. so I think that's what I delighted in. Actually, going back to sort of this whole idea of being starry-eyed, I love sitting in the darkness, Mm. um, especially in theater or dance. And I loved – I really like plays that show sort of like the darker side of humanity uh, where – when I was an actor, I could express things that I could say things that I would never say in my normal life. But I was able to sort of bring voice to uh, these characters' pain or anger. And so that's what made me happy. I think okay. I delighted in the truth telling that I was able to have. I was I d- delighted in the tribe of um, my theater ensemble. Mm-hmm. And that felt like my family to me, where it was like, oh, you can be all the messy sides and you can also to stand on stage and to sort of feel that presence and um, have your feet, you know, firmly on the ground, but to take up space like that all felt so good. Wow. That's really powerful. Love that. Hmm. Um, okay. Another, I love that I'm like, okay, now that I've shared something profound, let's move on because I'm feeling <laughs> uncomfortable. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit, and this kind of go, ties into this, right? The idea of what are these delights? Um, because these delights kind of shine uh, light on 
what you would call our birthrights. And you encourage mothers to reclaim their birthrights. So can you kind of talk to us about like what that even means, a birthright and and how we would reclaim it? Yeah. So I think there are certain giftings, certain abilities, certain callings that we each have like woven into our DNA, into our soul. And um Throughout every phase of our life, there are things that have been important that have shaped us, that have marked us, that have influenced us. And I love this idea that nothing goes to waste. So, so often I talk talk with women who are in like the early stages of raising kiddos and it's all consuming and they feel like they are losing themselves in every way imaginable. And I think there is uh, something unique that happens in every stage of our life, that nothing gets wasted. And so I see it as there's these little dots woven throughout every experience we have, and that as we live life and connect all of them together, this beautiful picture is created, something that we didn't even know was coming together. And until we connect them all, it didn't make sense. But then we see clearly, and it's like, oh my goodness, my whole life has been pointing in this direction and for this moment or for this calling And so I think sometimes we need to trace back to the things that we were good at when we were teeny tiny, things that um, made us feel alive or made us feel like we were the only person in the whole world who could do it. And um, I just love this idea. And I am convinced that we all have something unique that we are meant to offer the world. And um, at no point in our life is anything getting wasted. And so when we are fully present in the stage where we are, And really just sucking the marrow out of everything that's happening at that stage. It'll all culminate to take us um, to this place that we are called to be. And so I'm just convinced that nothing gets wasted and that we all have unique innate abilities and callings that when we really pay attention to them, um, we can do tremendous things in the world. We'll be right back. Mandy, on Atopic Moms, we often have early childhood educators and parenting experts on the podcast. And time and time again, the theme that comes up is the parent-child relationship and basically how relationship trumps everything else. Like who cares about what classes you're taking your kids to so they can get into whatever school? Like none of it matters if the relationship isn't there, that that's the fundamental, that is the core thing for early childhood. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. Nothing else matters. Relationship is what matters the most. So when I read in your book, the story of you getting your oil changed, I was just like, oh, what a great uh, story to sort of, man, really show me a, a different perspective of that concept. Please share. Yeah. So um, I had all three of my kids with me and they were small. And you know how when you take your kids out somewhere like that, and um, I'm the kind of mom who has like a purse full of activities. So I'm like pulling things out and like cruise directing our entire oil change experience. (laughs) So, um, Can you please be my cruise director during an oil change experience? That sounds way more fun than my experiences. I should bring my own little busy bag, right? I guess my- idea. My busy bag is probably my iPhone, but yeah. Yeah. 
I think that's true for all of us. Um, so I have my kids there and I'm entertaining them. And I'm like pouring sweat, right? Because they're like running around and I'm running after them. And um, there's a man that's sitting across the row of chairs from us. And he keeps trying to make eye contact with me. And I realize that he wants to have a conversation. And I'm like, dude, can can you not see that I'm chasing all these little people around? Like, I can barely keep myself together. I can't stop and have a conversation with you. And um, he's just so persistent. And he starts to ask me about my kids. And so I answer him, like, really briefly because I don't want to get into a long conversation. But he keeps asking me questions. And it turns out that he's probably in his 70s or 80s and um, has a couple of kids that are, are grown, but that he hasn't talked to in years and years and years. And then I learn that he was an airline pilot and never home and has so much guilt about how he was never really present for his kids. And then as the conversation went on, I learned that he only had like 30 to 60 days to live and that he had decided that he was just going to live his life as normally as possible and um, with the hopes of inviting his kids into his last days and having just this modicum of a normal life with them and trying to rebuild all of the years he had lost along the way. And he just felt this weight of wanting to tell me to enjoy every moment with my children, to look them in the eye, to be present, to show up to things, to not take things too seriously, and to just enjoy them and their unique little personalities in every stage because he wishes he could go back and do that. And he said, it's the small things that matter. Because he provided the big things. He provided a roof over their heads and college and all these big experiences. But what they really needed from him was his presence in the small things. And it it got me like I, I was just sitting next to him at the end of our conversation with my hand on his shoulder. And we shared this moment where all of a sudden, all of life made perfect sense to me. There was so much clarity in seeing him at the end of his life and sharing his regrets and his hurts. And so he sat and he watched my kids play. And he just marveled at them and marveled at their creativity and their energy. And it was this really beautiful moment that will stick with me for the rest of my life um, that he took the time to be really transparent about the things that he wished he had done better in order to give me the gift of presence with my kids. And so it was a really profound moment that has tremendously impacted my parenting um, from that day on. Oh, my God. It just kills me. It kills me you telling it to me again. <laughs> um, I, uh, and and the idea that he – you mentioned that he's getting the oil changed. I mean, why, right? He's going to die in a couple months. Like why bother getting your oil changed? And and that he was doing that um, so that his children, oh boy, going to lose it. Um, mm-hmm. So that so that his grown children wouldn't have to do that mm-hmm. um, once yeah. he passed. He wanted to take care of the little details like he hadn't when they were small. So yeah. we can all just go cry and <laughs> <I> know <laughs> now, <laughs> but it's so beautiful. He 
know and, what I found over the course of my life, just real briefly, is that I what I try to do is wake up in the morning, and for me, it's asking God, like, God, is there someone that I need to encounter today? And it's such a unique way to start the day. And I found over and over again that when I put it out, like, who can I encounter today that has something that I need to hear? It, over and over again, that just comes right back. And I, I find that I meet so many unique people with unique stories. And it's such a beautiful world full of vastly different people that we live in. And such a gift. That is so good. Okay, for any of our mothers out there who have not heard of MOPS, and I hadn't, could you please um, let us know, like, what what is, what's it about and how can moms get involved? Okay, so first of all, it's a super weird name, right? Um, <laughs> it doesn't sound that glamorous. I'll put it out no, there. I know, I know. It's kind of painful, but um, <laughs> so I would say it's a weird name, but a really great uh, organization. So what we do is we provide community for women in the early stages of mothering. So women who have kiddos between um, when they're pregnant and when they're going into kindergarten, we know it's a super unique stage of life for women. And so we provide communities all over the world. So we're in 40 different countries and it's a time for women to come together to gain parenting skills. We usually have a super cool speaker or topic to talk about. So it became the safest place in the whole world to talk about the things that were heaviest on my heart. And so it's really just a community of women who want to have mom friends, who want to be a better mom, and who are committed to showing up fully in their lives and finding women who can walk alongside them in that. Gorgeous. Well, thank you so much, Mandy. Uh, What's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Yeah, so they can find me at mandyarioto.com. And um, you can find Starry-Eyed anywhere books are sold. Perfect. Thank you so much, Mandy. Super appreciate it. Thank you for coming on to Atomic Moms and for sharing your wisdom and also all of these beautiful little stories from your life uh, in this book. It really does. It makes you feel so good. Like turn off the TV, turn off the news, turn off like all the violent programming that um, my husband always has me watch, which I really love. But then afterwards I regret it. Like pick (laughs) up this book instead and like cuddle up. And and you might notice that your everyday life tomorrow feels a little more magical. Listeners – Until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on, Atomic Moms. You have the best ending of anyone ever. Love it. Oh, thank you.